to a new episode of the Awesome Friday Podcast, where we talk about two films every week, and this week is no different. My name is Matthew, and with me, as always, is Simon. How are you, Simon? Hello. Shall I lie? I mean, we've had this conversation already. I'll just say, I'm great, thank you. I am full of energy. I've, a, I've had a restful day, and I'm full of energy. When in Back. truth, uh, I'm on my second like jug of tea within the last half an hour, because I've been out all day. How are you? Oh, not so bad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've been watching a lot of Letterkenny, in case yes. uh, anyone uh, doesn't get that reference. Um, no, I'm do, you know okay. what this I... is, do you know what this finally is? Sorry to interrupt you there, but yeah, what this finally is, is me telling you to watch something you haven't seen, and you loving it. Finally. Although, I get to, to fair, tell you. I'm Can I say it? you in it, I think, too. <laughs> but I still told you so. Where are yeah. you now? I've just finished season two. I'm in season three, episode three, oh, I think. Okay. Right. So you're a little bit ahead of me. Yeah. Remember, there's a special in between seasons two and three. It's separate on... If you're watching Letterkenny on Crave, the St. Patrick's Day special, which takes place between season two and season three, is in a separate place. You have to go and find it. And it's just like one standalone episode. Yes. It's quite funny. Okay. Yeah. Good. Good. Uh, so yeah, Letterkenny's great. Um... I've literally just come from the theater where I saw Doctor Strange in the, the Multiverse of Madness, which is one of the two films we shall be discussing this week on the show. And the other is uh, a little French drama from last year that I adored and Simon has just seen because it's just getting a theatrical release uh, here in Canada. I think it just got its theatrical release in America uh, two weeks ago, I think on April the 24th, second, I think. Um called Petite Maman. And, and how, did, so how, did, how did you get to see that so early? Was it a film festival? Yes, it played at the Vancouver International Film Festival last year. And oh, okay. I, I counted it as a film from 2021. So I, because mm-hmm. uh, I think it got its official release like in France as well. Right. Um, it was actually one of my favorite films from last year. So I'm looking forward to speaking about it with you. Good. Um, a couple other just small housekeeping pieces, though. How did you find, you, as someone who liked the show, compared to myself, who kind of thought it was fine at best, how did you feel about the end of Moon Knight? Because <laughs> we're just going to get this out of the this, way. Uh, um, this is good framing for when we talk about Doctor Strange. Strange, stranger, stranger. Um, yeah. I, uh, Moon Knight is the best thing that's come out of the MCU for me. Like, the... The end, I knew the end episode would probably go a bit more heavy and a bit more fighty on the CG, and that's, it's Marvel, so that's to be expected. But just loved it. Loved it from beginning to end. Loved the time it took. Loved how it was the best Tomb Raider we've ever had on TV. Loved the, uh, May, how do you say her last name? May Callaway? Callaway. Uh, Callaway, I think. Callaway. Just I being... Just being amazing, and then in the last episode, even more amazing. I don't know when I last watched an episode of a TV show, and I'm sat on my couch like a 14-year-old going, Whoa! and like other other screaming noises. Um, like, really, nothing makes me feel like that anymore. And this, this, it was just brilliant. Oscar Isaac is fantastic. I love the jump cuts. I love the... Uh, the the Egyptian director and the designers, what they brought to it and their focus on culture and music and just the difference it makes to the story. And uh, the design was fantastic. And I love the, the questions that were not necessarily answered fully. 
and um, oh, I loved it. I just I adored it. And I know you're on the other side of the. I mean, you were just fine with this, right? This was your Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yeah, I mean, I thought the first four episodes were kind of dull. Uh, I thought the fifth episode was probably one of the single best episodes of television that Marvel has produced. Uh, and I found the the finale, the sixth episode, to be um, well-intentioned, would be the way I'd put it, I guess, to be polite. I found the editing really distracting. It was really cut really quickly and frantically in a way that took away from the action for me. Um and just like for a show that had six one-hour episodes, I felt that stuff was weirdly unexplained. Like there was a ton of exposition, but I still had a ton of questions, and just a lot like and just little stuff too. And this is me being super pedantic, but also like if Layla is now the Scarlet Scarab, which is a, a Marvel comic books superhero, why isn't her costume red? I don't know why this bothers me so much, but it's not red. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's dumb shit like that. It's part of Marvel's ongoing aversion to color, um, which we'll talk about a little bit more in a few minutes, actually. Um, but no, I mean, overall, I thought the show was fine. You know, I thought the fifth episode saved it from being fully bad, and I thought the sixth episode was pretty standard, CGI-heavy. Marvel has a third-act action problem. You know, it's not a new thing to say. So mm. I thought it was fine. It's fine. You're not wrong. Oscar Isaac is amazing. I thought that Ethan Hawke... I thought Ethan Hawke was also pretty good. I thought that his role was also kind of hacked to the bone. It felt a little bit... I really didn't feel like his characterization was fully there for me. But And yeah, I, th I thought it was let down on technical stuff, mostly. Interesting. So. It's very interesting because it's usually what we're saying is usually the reverse where I'm saying what you usually say and you're saying what I am saying, but yeah. I am really sensitive to hyper editing to, uh, especially in fight choreography. And I, I didn't, this didn't trigger that for me at all. Like I, I didn't, to be fair, I do, I do feel like I watched a different show than everyone else. To be fair. I feel like, I feel like I watched, I feel like I watched a different show than everyone else, but I, I think the an e the easiest example, if you've watched Moon Knight episode six, is at the it's the, it's the beginning. Of, it's the third act of the show. So, um, Ethan Hawke, Arthur Harrow has his like super powered cane that he uses to suck the souls out of bad out of everyone else. You know the people whose scales don't balance, and he he's given finally the um this like stone thing that the goddess Amit is trapped in. And there's a moment where he goes and he like, from what I understand anyway, he breaks it and integrates it with his cane. But in the moment where that's happening, the the, the thing it cuts away. It cuts away to another character looking at him doing it with blinking like shiny lights in the background. You don't actually see what he does, and then it cuts back to him just as like that action finishes. So you don't actually get to see it. And I felt like the episode, the last episode in particular, was riddled with stuff like that, where. It felt like they they need they had a, an hour and they needed ninety minutes. Like I feel like, I think maybe a good way to put this would be that the la the whole series at six episodes was either way too much or about an hour or two not enough to make it a good show. You know what I mean? Like it either uh, needed to I... be a, a lot briefer or they needed to have a little bit more room to breathe 
in particular in those action sequences, but in lots of other instances too, where they would dump a ton of, a ton of exposition, but not really explain anything. So see, I, I would have taken another couple of hours of that definitely, but for different reasons It's because I, I thought the balance was perfect. I loved the, the jump, uh, they working in the jump cuts as part of the storytelling process. I love the, the characterization so... of everyone. The, the the jump cuts that were story relevant, like all the ones that were that were Oscar Isaac like switching alternate identities, that was all fine. But there's a scene where, in the finale, where a car flips over, and Layla goes to save the people inside, and it cuts so fast that you don't see her get to the car, and you only barely there's a scene where she, one shot where she cuts open the car to get to the people inside because it's on its side. And you basically don't see that whole action. And then there's just people outside the car. Like, it all happens way too quickly. I needed a lot more room to just let me see what was happening. And I know you're just looking at me like, well, like, I like that I didn't... We live, we're living in opposite land on this one. But it's I, like I we don't... watch two different shows. It's crazy. It is, yeah. It is. I, we may, I, think, I, have, I have a sneaking yeah. suspicion we might be in the same boat about the movie we're going to talk about, but in a more normal <laughs> sense. Yes, um, yeah. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, I am also, I think I'm just, I as a guy who used to joke that our blog was effectively called Marvel Fanboy Weekly, I am, I think I'm just starting to feel the fatigue a little bit. Yeah, and I'm kind of, I don't, I don't think that any of the Marvel shows have been fully good i don't think that any of them have been great i know that i enjoyed hawkeye a lot more than you did because i thought it was light and fun which is sort of what i want from these shows honestly is for them to just be light and fun but like the first three to five episodes of wandavision are great and the third act is kind of samey i thought that all the stuff that falcon and the winter soldier wanted to say about race in america and the world was great but kind of poorly executed and same as Moon Knight cut really fast and not enough room to breathe. It's, you know, it's just, yeah, I, uh, the rest. I, I, I would even go far as say that one division was basically about it, the thing it wanted to say. It was almost about nothing until it decided to suddenly be about that in the last act. I really didn't like One Division at all. Falcon and Winter Soldier, I, I didn't make it past, I think, the third episode because I was so so bored with it. Like, it was just not exciting for me at all. Loki, I loved. I really loved Loki. I, I feel like there were some elements in the last episode that could have been better. But so, for me, this is... Oh, and I didn't like Hawkeye at all. At all. But yeah. the... Um, but I, did, I liked Loki. This I loved. Like, like Loki, I loved Loki. this. I would say that Loki, to me, Loki and Hawkeye are the two that feel like the most complete television experiences. They're serialized. Um, I think the other problem is that they, they're they all sort of highly serialized, and none of them have... All of them only really have maybe one good, solid, contained episode of television in them. You know what I mean? Like, And for Moon Knight, it's episode five. I will, like, Moon Knight episode five, again probably the best episode of television they've made mm-hmm. uh I don't overall I, th- I overall i think that they adapting the, the their filmmaking technique to to television isn't quite working overall mm-hmm. for me mm-hmm. no i i can see so. i yeah i see what you say and like and it's just you know there's also just stories resonate with people differently so it makes sense that eventually we'd find one that i 
am not so great at keen on and you are you know makes sense mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that's true yeah yeah okay but i mean uh, so i'm glad you liked it is what i'm trying to say and it doesn't really matter because even though i didn't and even though i thought that picard season two was quite bad the season premiere of star trek strange new worlds was this week <laughs> and it was fucking excellent and no, i'm I watched, so hyped so hyped how, how many episodes in this because maybe we should talk about it like after the run because i watched the first 10 minutes with my son actually um having breakfast this morning and it was so good it was so so yeah. good and the opening uh, i texted you like the opening music and um the opening sequence is incredibly like evocative and, and amazing yeah. like i feel the same about um prodigy as well but i watched i watched then the 10 minutes of spock sexy time and all this stuff and just thought i had two main thoughts actually first of all god if i were a trek fan to the level that i'm a star wars fan this would just be like the second coming and like you have so much good stuff as trek and this was it was amazing as someone who didn't really know what was going on with pike's sort of flashbacks and everyone talking about what happened to you and he's like it's classified because he talks Mm -hmm. like he talks like that um, my second thing is, who, who, who's that guy who plays High at Pike, and how is he so unbelievably like handsome? You yeah, just want to, you just want to have like a pint with him or a cup of tea. You want him to chop down a tree and make some firewood for you. Yeah, his name is Anson Mount. Uh, you, if you are a fan of you know prestige television, you would have seen him on the show Hell on Wheels, which is a western. You also would have thought he was probably... Season 2 of Discovery is by far the best episode of Discovery, and it's in large part due to him and Spock being in it. And right. them them earning a spinoff of their own is, I think, maybe not well, probably the best thing, hopefully the best thing to have come out of this modern era of Trek TV. Um, and I will never not watch a new Star Trek thing, just to be clear, and I will never not watch all of it, because that's, I'm, you know, it's Star Trek. It's my thing. Uh, but I guess I guess I wasn't quite prepared for how much I wanted, or how much I was going to l- just react to a show that is clearly aiming for the classic Trek format of go to a place, do a thing, tell me the moral of the story, roll credits. You know, like, and do that every week, like straight up adventure of the week. And that is what the show is apparently going to be just an adventure every week. Uh, you know, I'm sure there'll be some recurring story elements because you can't get away from that in, you know, peak TV era. But Picard season two is really bad. And oh, is it? Dis- cool. and dis- <laughs> yeah. I, I couldn't quite admit it to myself until I saw the finale, but it's it's probably one of the worst seasons of Star Trek television. It's really upsettingly bad. Feels like really bad fan fiction from start to finish. Um, uh, and Discovery, I, I actually am pretty positive on Discovery, very generally speaking. But I think trying to service the ongoing storyline over as many episodes as they do, in they suffer from it. I think they suffer from it. And uh, I, so I'm really looking forward to just a straight up adventure of the week. Uh, yeah series and i really like that it didn't shy away from being political in the way that star trek is famous for being like you haven't seen the whole episode but there's a moment in this episode where it draws a straight line from current events in america to world war three oh 
<laughs> right. And it's not it's not a massive leap, is it? <laughs> not really. Um, but it's it's a it's a really unsubtle but perfect trek style. It's not even an allegory if they say it directly, but it's you know it's uh, yeah. the way it plays out is very perfectly trek, and I loved it. I loved it from start to finish. Do you know what I really loved actually? The thing that hooked me from the very beginning, and it's not a big spoiler because it's the pre-credit sequence, but it. Uh, there's a voiceover about making first contact and people in like a, a NASA style control room. And you've seen that kind of situation before, like especially in the movie First Contact. But then it comes up and, and the aliens, I'm sure you'd be able to tell me the exact genealogy of these aliens, but they're aliens with funny wonky noses. And the the ship they're looking at is a grainy picture of it's not the Enterprise, but it looks like the Enterprise without wing bits. It's like a it's clearly uh, a Star Trek ship and having the humans as the grainy uh, first contact UFO, I thought was brilliant. I've never seen that before. I've never even thought about that before. And that kind of sets the tone of what you're talking about of them going to places and going, Hey, yeah. let's solve your problems <laughs> without doing the, anything. Uh, <laughs> the wingy bits are called nasals. <laughs> <laughs> actually (laughs) (laughs) um i know i think they were actually i would have to check to be sure but i think they might have been a new species which is also interesting right um it's very good and 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 fitting and i really i really liked it so watch the new star trek people because it's a we do live in a golden age of trek and if if nothing else we have this and prodigy and lower decks so can you can you help me with one thing because i don't want to google it i just want something really concise pike is screwed up about something and then he has visions of burning like uh, uh, Spock style, like against glass. And then he yep. says, I know how I'm going to die. It's in, I don't know why he's gone New York. I know why I'm going to die. It's in <laughs> 10 years. And yep. uh, so uh, is there time, is it like time travel? Or how does he know he's going to die like that in 10 years? It's it's way it's way too long to actually explain. I'll explain it to you later. It's way okay. too long for right now. But in the, in the second season of Discovery, um, there is a moment where he's given a vision of his future of his own death. Oh, and okay. uh, as the the episode will later make clear, he not only sees it, he experiences it, mm-hmm. and that's why mm-hmm. he's so effed up about it in um, right. in the episode. And it also you know, leads to the, the resolution of the plot of the episode. It's really well done, actually. So you, I, should, you should just watch it. I really enjoyed the makeup team's efforts to make him look old and gruff at the beginning by sticking a really bad beard on him and trying to make the, the world's most handsome man look kind of gruff. <laughs> it's like, no, it's not. You're not fooling anyone. Yep. <laughs> it doesn't. It's not working. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, so anyway Star Trek is good. Yeah. Well, now that uh, we've got that out of the way, we should wow. move on to a heartfelt French drama <laughs> filled with magical realism and emotions, <laughs> which uh, was, again, one of my favorite films from 2021 and just getting its theatrical release here in Canada this week. So let's talk about a little bit about Petite Maman. Um do you want to give the rundown or should I? Sure. Um, I'll do it because you can do uh, Dot Strange. Your memory is better than mine for that kind of thing. Whereas this is quite simple. Um, it revolves around a French girl called Nelly, who is eight years old. And we learn very early on that her grandmother has just passed. And she's with her dad and her mum in her, first of all, clearing out the retirement home. And then the, the mother's old house. So they're basically 
going through belongings, talking about memories of the house, finding keepsakes. And they're there for a few days. And the mother, the mother's got some issues that aren't fully explained, but she leaves. She goes early and the dad tries to like softly explain what's going on. And we, we're left to kind of guess what's going on. But she she leaves early. Maybe it's too much for her. And Nellie um, uh, goes and plays in the woods. And in the woods, she meets uh, a young girl, uh, roughly her age, um, who's building like a little tree house in the woods. And she forms a friendship with this girl. I think that's probably all. I think I should probably stop explaining. But it's basically um, her very gentle growing friendship with this girl and how it relates to her own familial experience and her relationship with her mom and um, just the whole concept of like saying goodbye to someone. Like she, one of the things she says at the beginning is that she, she wasn't happy with her last goodbye to her grandma. So it's, it's a very typically French soft examination of that kind of thing. Yeah. I don't, I don't think you need to be bashful. I think, I don't think it's any secret. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's in the trailer, but it's certainly in every review that I've ever read of this movie that the little girl in the woods, Marion, is the eight-year-old version of her mother. See, I didn't she... know. I, I had no idea. So it was... Okay, so so she, yeah, Nellie walks into the woods and is transported back in time and becomes, effectively, for the runtime of the movie, best friends with her own mother. And she goes back to the house that in her time she's cleaning up and meets a 40-something-year-old version of her grandmother. And it opens up all kinds of interesting... It doesn't actually really open up any questions, but it answers all kinds of... opens up all kinds of feelings. And this movie really got to me when I first saw it. Mm -hmm. And I saw it at, um, at the film festival. And, I mean, Celine Chiama is three for three of four for four at this point i'm not sure how many films she's directed actually but every one of her films that i've seen at least is basically a masterwork and this is no no different um this movie i think i described it in my original review as like a warm hug on a rainy day mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it's it's it it really reaches into you and pulls something out i think mm-hmm. and i love that it doesn't try to like explain anything like the sum total of the explanation is that, she, that Nellie walks into the woods and meets meets her mother her eight-year-old mm-hmm. mother mm-hmm. and i also i think it's i think it's absolutely brilliant that the the young girls are sisters in real life i think it lands oh are they a, a oh. closeness and also they just look alike yeah <laughs> so, um to the point where i'm not sure i never looked it up but when i first thought i was wondering i wondered at one point whether they were twins mm-hmm. um and yeah, I don't know. I mean, how did when you first started watching this? I know you texted me and said that you weren't sure if you were going to be able to get through this grief yeah. processing movie. How did it work out for you? So I'm I am really sensitive. Obviously, I've got a young daughter this age, and I can't watch anything with kids getting hurt or like in grief. I just can't do it at the moment. I can watch uh, I can watch like horror movies or whatever. I just can't do it because it's too close and. And uh, so I, I found, I actually found most of the movie like almost overwhelmingly sad because it deals with so many, so many like opening traumas. Like her mum's clearly going through stuff and Nellie learns, sorry. Uh, yeah, Nellie learns 
from meeting young Marion about uh, the generational aspect of it. So getting it from her grandma and the, the way she, the way her mom lived and, and it does explain a lot. So uh, this, this uh, sorry, my, my dog is digging stuff off the couch. Um, <laughs> so uh, the, I mean, I'm glad I, I'm glad I carried on. I'm glad I listened to you and I finished watching it because I, what I, there's a lot to like about this movie. I don't think I liked it as much as you like overall, but I really like the very. I just love French cinema because she goes back and <laughs> she goes back in time, right? Nellie goes back in time, and if this were like an American director, you'd have visual effects and you'd have sound effects and you'd have a tunnel and you'd have like ivy growing over a tree trunk that she crawls through, and suddenly she's back in time. The, the time travel in this is Nellie walking down a path to a clearing and they go to the other house by following another path. It's literally, and to get home, she's like, and there's none of this, how will I get home? Which path? She's like, no, I'll just take the path. I'm just going to go home back to my home. Anyway. Yeah. And the, the time travel aspect is used uh, really gently and in a really, I don't know how else to explain it, in a non-stupid way, like non-fantastical way. It's just there. And yeah. similarly, there's a moment where um, Nellie tells Marion, like, I'm your child. And Marion's like, oh, okay. And like, there is so much truth in that because, again, a, a less good writer or director would have um, made that more of a, like, I don't believe you, that can't be true. And there's so much truth in kids believing kids. And you only really see that when you spend a lot of time around people this age. And there, there's so much honesty to it. And, and that carries on through the whole film. It's just a very, very honest and very touching film. Um, and, and, and it was interesting. I just found the whole thing just almost indescribably sad even though it had a nice moment at the end, but that's French cinema for you, right? <laughs> that's, that's how they roll. Yeah. I mean, I think in what we're talking about in terms of like the time travel and the way the characters interact, I think that this is a great example of magical realism at its best, right? Mm -hmm. uh, when you deployed correctly. I also think it's um, kind of a master stroke to basically to tell the entire story from Nellie's point of view. Um, there's no adults explaining anything in a separate scene, right? Like anytime an adult gives information, it's to Nellie and the, the, the film treats it as information that Nellie would understand at her own level. There's no, there's no, if it was an American film, there'd be lights and visual effects as she walks down that path, but there'd also be a scene where two adults are like, what is happening here? I will expressly state the moral of the film. Yeah, <laughs> Uh, and in this in this one, Nellie goes to visit Marion at her home, and Marion comes forward, I believe, at one point and spends time mm -hmm. with, and like the and the dad is there, and, yes. and everyone's just like, cool, yeah. whatever, you know, nice to meet your new friend. And then, it's yeah, the whole thing is you know it's all just about patience and understanding and generational trauma and generational understanding and kids understanding that they aren't adults and adults understanding that they aren't kids. Mm -hmm. And I think exploring those things really 
as a person without kids, I think it's interesting that it spoke to me so deeply, to be perfectly honest. I don't... Uh, yeah, but you're the most kid I, person I've ever met, though, who doesn't have kids. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> anyway, I, I love this movie. It was in my, I believe, it was in my best of 2021 list for a reason. It, uh, it really... You know, and it's and the best and not the best part, but one thing I also really love about it is that it's only seventy-two minutes long, mm. and not that it's only seventy-two minutes long, but that it doesn't need to be any. It's exactly the right length for the story it wants to tell. It's it's not too long. It's not too short. It's just exactly the story it wants to be in the time frame it needs to be in. Mm. And I think again, a lesser film or an American film would probably be like, let's pad it up by eighteen. You know, like let's get it up to ninety. Yeah, let's have one of them get stuck or something. Yeah, it's um. Let's 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 have some conflict in the third. Like yeah. there was never really a an inter character conflict in the same way there would be in an American film, and this film basically peaks with two girls making pancakes and giggling the whole time. Like it's lovely. It's really it's nice. so lovely. Yeah, such a lovely film, and I hope that all of you get to see it because it it is in theaters now. So go see it. It is, <laughs> and I. I yeah, uh, I think the ending is really good as well. And it, this kind of movie, like you've got to find an ending that fits without being sensationalist and without being mysterious. And um, there's a very I, I I don't really want to talk about the moment of the ending because it you should be able to experience that firsthand when you watch this. But it's just really lovely, and the whole film is just really like nice you know what i mean and they they found a way uh, sorry the director did she write it as well yeah okay so she found a way to end it as gently as the way she told the rest of the story in a really really meaningful way and that was nice as well i mean again i i really um it was really nice to watch something as well that was a little bit ambiguous like there was the only way you knew she was time traveling were the listening to references earlier and then seeing those references, but they weren't pointed out. You there was no <laughs> there was no zoom in to her looking at the uh, treehouse, going, wait a minute, that's the treehouse that my mother described twenty minutes ago to my father in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, there's a lot of ambiguity, and at one point <laughs> in the middle of the, well, at that point, I'm like, is, is this is is that her mum? Like, is, <laughs> is that is that is that her mother? Because when she says, "Oh, my my grandmother's got the same name as you," and and it's just that wonderful. Again, French cinema's good at this. It doesn't want to to take you by the hand and tell you everything. It wants you to like learn it yourself, and you've got to pay attention. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's nice. I mean, it was just a nice film, definitely. Yeah. What would you? I I originally gave it five out of five. What did you give yeah. it? Uh, I'd say three. I'd say three out of five. I liked the performances. Um, I thought it was a very simple story told very simply. Um, I really liked the central performances. I had no idea they were sisters in a way that makes it even more impressive for me. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, and it was really well directed. So yeah, it's a solid, nice movie. Nice, excellent. Well. That's very much like the next film we're going to talk about. Oh, yeah, let's get into it. <laughs> in, uh, in, in a way where there is uh, different versions of the same people. Um, so we're going to talk now about the latest Marvel uh, film, 
Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. I'm going to preface this by saying we are going to keep it as spoiler light as we can. There's obviously a ton of stuff happening in this movie, and there's a ton of there's cameos and there's references, and I don't think we're going to talk about any of that I in don't this know. episode. I, I kind of want to. Maybe I do too, end. but I, I think that if if this is going to be a, rev, a review, maybe we'll do a bit at the end where we tell people that yeah. you know, we'll we'll do an outro and then sure. we'll do some spoilery stuff. But yes, let's try and yeah, keep yeah, it as spoiler light as possible. Okay. Um. So. So what happens in this movie? <laughs> uh, well, um, how do we where do you even start? <laughs> the answer to that question is a lot. A lot happens in this movie. Uh, as the film opens, Doctor Stephen Strange is attending the wedding of Christine Palmer, and uh, you know explicitly states the character flaw we're going to resolve in the film. <laughs> uh, it's the it's the movie the title movie title trailer. Yeah, it is. Um, and then a monster attacks, and uh, there's a young girl the monster is chasing, and that girl turns out to be America Chavez, who is a well-known now um, Marvel Comics character, and she has the ability to travel the multiverse. And that's why the monster's after her. And we... Steven goes to Wanda Maximoff for help, because they figure out that it's not sorcery, but witchcraft that is causing this to happen, which I do not necessarily understand what the difference between those two things is, but sure. Uh, but then it turns <laughs> out that the the thing that's chasing the girl is actually Wanda, and Wanda is the villain of the movie. And this is not a spoiler. This is very this, early on. This is, like, this is like the, the first scene with Wanda reveals that she's the, yeah. uh, she's the villain. It's also, oh, I, I mean... This has been pretty telegraphed for months for me. Like, uh, since if you watched WandaVision, you know that she ended up in a uh, not well, not maybe not a dark place, but a not necessarily light place. Uh, and this is certainly a direction to take that in. And you know, the rest of the movie is Doctor Strange and America Chavez traveling through the multiverse, trying to get away from Wanda, who is chasing them. And there's, it's, it becomes difficult with any Marvel film to talk in any detail without spoiling something. But the main character through lines you need to know is that, yeah, I mean, Doctor Strange initially has a conversation with Christine in his universe where he basically can't get out what he wants to say to her. And America Chavez is not in control of her power and I don't think it's a spoiler to say that much like every young superhero we've seen so far the reason for that is that she doesn't fully trust herself because in fine Marvel tradition she has trauma she has trauma for when she was young that holds her back because she doesn't trust herself with her own powers and that will be resolved by the end of the film I don't think that's a spoiler because that would spoil literally every Marvel movie I think <laughs> I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, you're not wrong. Um, but on this, this doesn't sound very positive. I actually really liked the movie overall. I've literally just came from watching it. Um, and my favorite thing about it is that Sam Raimi directed it, and they let Sam Raimi be Sam Raimi for very large chunks of the movie, complete with quick zooms and wicked zombie effects and 
you know, chattering monsters in the background and Dutch angles and everything you'd come to expect from a good Sam Raimi movie. It is a little watered down compared to something like, say, Drag Me to Hell or, you know, Evil Dead or Army of Darkness. But it's there. It's there. It's there. It's a Raimi movie through and through. As much as it is a another piece of media turned out by the Marvel movie making machine. Uh, it is also a Sam Raimi movie, and I will give it. In the end of the day, I'll probably give it a full star bump because of that. Um, but I don't know. You, you look like you're about to have a, a, a counter opinion to mine. So I am. When I talk about Marvel fatigue, I'm talking about movies like this movie because the uh, when when they allow Sam Raimi to be full Sam Raimi, those are the really good bits of this film. Like what works in this yeah. movie works like hell i love 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 the monster at the beginning this giant squishy it looked like a beholder but with tentacles with this massive <laughs> like cyclops eye and it is just squishy and just it, it doesn't look like um anything metallic or anything that's been in an mcu before it looks like a big like child's toy uh but Godzilla sized, and it, it mm-hmm. it's fantastic. And the, and um, Wong's big reveal is in that fight, and it's really good. Like Wong's a really likable character, anyway, and he's he's got some good moments in this. And that fight against that monster, and the way it ends, is really good. Like <laughs> it's very yeah, it's, very Raimi. Yeah, it's worth saying that some of the best parts of the film, some of the most the most Raimi parts of the movie, are that. There's a there's a lot of really gnarly kills in this movie. There's a lot <laughs> yeah. of really, really gnarly, really squishy, gnarly moments. Yeah. Lots of gnarly monsters yeah, yeah. that get right up in people's business, and it's not afraid. It's not. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go so far as to say that it's a, a bloody film, no, but it's it far. Yeah. It's it's far far less bloodless than most Marvel movies are. I would say would be the most polite way to <laughs> wow. put it. That's amazing, but that's the thing. So I loved, I loved that monster. I loved the end, very, very end of the movie where he's he. There's some really strong raming happening to do with evil spirits and dead bodies. That is pure like Army of Darkness, almost stop frame animation, evil spirits, and uh, that's really, really fun. And yeah, uh, but. Everything for me in the middle of those bookends, that middle third was the most dull uh, uh, toy reveal, like stunt cameo. Oh, look who it is! <laughs> look who it is! Oh, and look who it is! Oh, and look who it is! And and it's all completely inconsequential for reasons that I won't go into. And uh, I was like significantly bored for a chunk of this movie and there's there's one wonderful moment where um america chavez can't control the dimension she falls into so there's one moment where she where she uh, gets really heightened anxiety and stress and pops through the dimensional layers and they fall through dinosaur world and they fall through we're all made of paint and now we're 2d and like and they land and they land and the whole middle third is basically new york but grass on the buildings it's like could you have not taken that story and put it in paint world 
or Dinosaur World or literally any other multiverse world where Sam Raimi could have like clearly told this almost Spider-Verse-style story, um, but they just end up in basically like New York, but with grass on the buildings. And it just... Oh, that's, so that's, that. That is ridiculous and unfair. It is flowers on the building. <laughs> Do you, know what I, do you know what I mean, though? And it was just grey. Like, you're telling a multiverse story, and the whole middle of this movie is in this grey space. Like, Yeah, what? so I'll, I'll go so far as to say that in terms of the what I liked about the movie, it, that the you're right that the opening is pretty great, and I think that most of the back, I would argue third or maybe even half, like once they start down the path of actually dealing with character stuff, it's good but there's a solid like most of the first half of the movie is pretty boring marvel let's get to the plot type stuff and i think Mm -hmm. that that is by design that's how marvel does their thing and that's how they fuel i mean that's how they fuel all of the influencers in the world and a lot of the bloggers and youtubers you know they're there you know they're and they're i don't hold it against any of them to be fair they're hustling in this world and but the way they have to hustle is to decode all the references in the plot of the latest marvel movie and to me most of the time the plot is the least interesting part of a marvel movie Mm. like the reason i like marvel movies and marvel comics is that i like the characters and i like that they go through things and i like that they have resolution and i think that although it's a fairly shallow arc that dr strange's arc in this movie is pretty good and i think it resolves really nicely and America Chavez's arc is also pretty shallow, and it, we've definitely seen a version mm-hmm. versions of it before. Uh, but I think it also works really well. I think that um, Suchil Gomez does a pretty good job. You know, I think she's quite uh, mm-hmm. cap- capable. I, I I do think that as much as it makes sense that Wanda is the villain, I think that it gets there really quickly. Even if you have seen WandaVision, I think it gets there really, really quickly. Yeah. Uh, But you're not wrong. Like, they travel through all these crazy worlds. And I know that that the answer to this is literally just that, like, it's different. The weirder you make the world, the more difficult it'll be to make that movie, right? Mm -hmm. But you're right. The the New York they end up in is just kind of slightly nicer New York, you know? Like, it's Mm -hmm. like the world if we had good environmental policy basically it's still, it's, but but it's still gray as fuck like it's so yeah like it's bland. really it's really frustrating the same thing that i felt i said earlier about moon knight and i've said i've said before about other marvel projects is they seem to have an aversion to color and their standard color grade seems that seems to me that they match their black to wet concrete like it's it's and it doesn't look good and especially what throws it into sharp relief is in that sequence you mentioned where they're falling through multiple universes and they get to that one where they made it of paint, especially like that whole mm. sequence is super colorful. And then they landed another pretty, pretty bland yeah. gray world. And all the colors of the costumes are muted. Uh, mm. And uh, it's just, yeah, I don't know why they don't want to be colorful. You could say, you know, on the one hand it's tempting to say that it, you know, it makes the magic pop, but the magic doesn't even pop that much against the backgrounds. No, it really doesn't. And the and the one time that it does pop, it's in a se- it's in a sequence where 
it's ah, a it's, it's oh, a yeah. really it's a really yeah. dark room and it's the first time i would argue there's a, a a great fight at the end that i won't spoil but it's the first time that the magic is used in a really imaginative way yeah and, yeah no, wait, that's my favorite part of the film and it's also the first time where at least in a very long time where you can really tell that having a talented director like sam raimi who really knows how to mix uh camera work and mm. action choreography and music together in a way to make mm. something more than the sum of its parts and that one scene yeah. is probably one of the best scenes one of the best fight scenes anyway in a marvel movie to date exactly because it's so original like can you imagine if the rest of the movie had had originality like that one scene that one scene that I've never seen anything like that before. And it was amazing. And then it, it was just, it, it come after an hour of this bland shit. And then the, I, I liked aspect of the end, but the, the Raimi aspects, it was still a, a, just another big CGI battle, but the, that really annoyed me that one scene because it was so good. It was yeah. so, so good. And this is a movie about the multiverse where you can literally be or do anything. Like, and you're doing it on film with this unlimited budget in this mega franchise by this huge company. Like, and and still, why did they not just really go for it and just completely throw the whole rest of the movie over the top like that one amazing scene? Yeah, and I don't, you know, the answer is it's a it's a machine. It's a money making movie making machine, mm. right? It's safe, um, right? They got to be safe. They got to yeah. be as safe as they can. I, I mean, again, just, I literally, I came home from watching the movie, spent some time with my, like a half hour with my wife, and then we started recording this. So I <laughs> literally just seen it. And overall, I did really like it. Um, but the Marvel problems are, it, it doesn't ever really feel hopeful to me that the Marvel problems are ever going to be overcome. And the problems are that I mean, the bigger problems are that their third act battles are always big CGI messes and they are have an aversion to color and they have as much as characters do evolve through the series. Uh, it always feels like they evolve in really safe ways, really minimal ways. Mm. Uh, like it doesn't, how to say this, because there's always another movie coming, it doesn't ever really feel like they necessarily have conclusions. Does yeah. that make sense? No, totally. And the this film felt really flat in terms of pacing in that way because it starts at the end of one story and it ends at the beginning of another story because that's what these films are now. And it felt like yeah. it's impossible now for Marvel, for one of its tentpoles, movies, to tell a standalone story that isn't connected to a million other things going on. Like this one just yeah. had a million other connections and it was weaker because of it. Well, the interesting thing, uh, I just had two thoughts at the same time and lost one of them, but the, uh, <laughs> the, inter the interesting thing is that because this film takes place through the multiverse, like large sections of it take place in alternate universes, and that allows them to do a lot of really interesting, fun things, but ultimately it's all, as much as that opens the door to unlimited possibility, it also renders large sections of the film kind of inconsequential because you yes. can just say that totally. we'll never see that universe again. Like it's, it's simultaneously the best and worst thing about the movie. 
is that there's so much potential, <laughs> but also that like it'll we will never necessarily it, a lot of that potential is never really going to be capitalized on in a meaningful way. I mean, I'm sure, I, like again, there's stuff with this movie that I think fans are going to really love. There's a, some really great fan servicey moments in it that are all super inconsequential. And I think that for reasons I'm not going to state in this section of the podcast, Raimi clearly knows that as well, based on the way he treats a lot of it. So so I've always kind of hated the stunt cast reveals, but at least they used to be meaningful. All the stunt casting in this is purely to get uh, for social media, like because all the stunt casting has absolutely not only no relevance to this story, but has no relevance to any story ever that will ever come out of the MCU. And it's just, uh, it was, that was just a waste of time for me. So total waste of time. Um, uh, so I, I don't know. What did you think about the stunt casting without like, obviously we won't go into specifics who it is, but what did you think? I, I, I it's fine. It's fine. I don't one of them there's two big ones and one of them annoyed me more than the other and that's pretty much because without directly spoiling it it's one that the internet has basically been clamoring for forever and they basically mm-hmm. just did it because of the internet yeah 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 no, absolutely um, and honestly if you haven't this so this podcast is coming out this movie came out on Friday this podcast is coming out on Sunday and if you are on TikTok especially uh, mm-hmm. Or if you view Instagram Reels or Facebook Stories, uh, I will be shocked if you ha- don't have it spoiled for you because yeah, yeah. I I have already seen it once. I've seen one of yeah. them once. Yeah, yeah. So people well, just I have mean, to get out there, don't they, and just tell you what's going on. Yep. That's, yeah, that's, that's what they want. That's why it's in there. It's not there for any like narrative reason. It's there so people make posts about it on social media for buzz. Well, so that's the only reason it's there. So I guess, I mean, this is kind of, uh, uh, I'm trying to hurry us up a little bit, but um, okay. so overall, yes or no, did you like the movie? So here's the thing. I The bits I liked, I really, really, really liked. And when this comes out, I am going to watch it again, but I might just watch the first third and the last third because there's nothing in that middle that I would need to see. So was that a yes? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, what was your question? Did I like it? Um, I liked it to give it two stars. I'll give it one star for the first third and one star for the last third. Wow, that's I was I was pretty sure you were going for uh, three stars personally. No, no, it's just like this is. I mean, I don't like the character anyway, but I find the character incredibly boring. I don't like Cumberbatch. His accent was terrible in this. But the uh, but I mean, he's kind of committed to the accent at this point. I think he's gotten, <laughs> I think he's gotten better at doing an American accent, but he's kind of committed to the one he started with. You know, it's really bad, so bad. But um, I, I, this is this is when I talk about Marvel fatigue and wanting to see something new. Th- this is the movie I'm talking about. So two stars. Yeah. How about Fair you? Enough. Uh, honestly, I've been going back and forth about it for the last hour or so, and I think in the end it's probably a three-star movie for me. I really want to say it's a four-star movie. Sam Raimi is my favorite director. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of in a way where I don't... I know I'd, I was about to say I don't talk about that often, but I totally do. <laughs> you do. And, uh, um, but I guess I just don't revisit a lot of his films very frequently, but mm-hmm. he hasn't really made a bad movie, and this is not a bad movie, but mm-hmm. it definitely 
I think I think the reasons I I think it's only a three star movie are sort of separate from him. Mm-hmm. I think it has more to do with yeah, the Marvel machine than anything else. Yeah, no, that's totally fair. So, well, I think right now because we're running out of time, so let's wrap it up. I'm going to say thank you to everyone who listened. That's two movies, both worth seeing at least. Um, thank you to everyone who's listening. If you liked what you heard, please take the time to give us a five star review on your podcasting platform of choice, or subscribe, or if you'd like to support us more directly we of course have a patreon and a kofi and those are all linked in the show notes uh we this episode is produced by me and written by nobody and performed by <laughs> me and simon um and we do it all on the unceded land of the musqueam Tsleil-Waututh, and the squamish nations we are signing off slightly early because we are going to start we're going to spend about 10 minutes i think talking in full spoiler mode so if you haven't seen the movie please stop listening now uh, we'll give you a count of three, and then we're going to talk in full spoilers. And I, Simon is—I can tell—he's champing at the bit to talk about one thing in particular. <laughs> I can just see it in his eyeballs. So, thank you so much for listening. If you're sticking around, great. Uh, and we're going to talk about some spoilers in three, two, one. Okay, what's the thing? Fucking John Krasinski, like yeah. what? Like of course uh, it is. just Susie, Susie came on, I'm like oh what just. He's not, well, first of all, he's a very nice guy and he's a fine actor. He is just not the right person for this part. And like, the, why is he, why is he even on the screen? And then he died. They're like, he dies. Professor Xavier dies. Is it Monica Rambeau, the new Captain Marvel? I don't know if that, who is. So actually, be? Lashana Lynch is Monica Rambeau as Captain Marvel. I think it was the best of those perfectly because it's the one that makes the most sense to me other than captain carter right like in that universe clearly she's the one who had the accident instead of carol danvers mm-hmm. yeah um I, I like that baron mordo is the sorcerer supreme but he's still a dick mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I mean this is what i was trying to say before though that i think Raimi knows that it's inconsequential because he killed them all off so quickly true yeah. story so they have Black Bolt, yeah. who's an Inhuman, and Inhumans did have a very brief TV show. And do you know who Black Bolt is played by in that TV show and this movie? No. Anson Mount, who plays Captain Pike. No. Was that <laughs> yep. him? That was him. <laughs> I, so I didn't know who that character was. So I was with, like, he's got a fork on his head. And then yeah. he, he, like, speaks to I oh, I'm so stupid. I really liked, I mean, Captain it's, Carter was fantastic. Um, the actress who plays a Haley Atwell as Captain yeah. Carter, fantastic jetpack, yeah. like Rocketeer era jetpack. I was like, "Fine, this is finally some good fucking content, right?" Yeah. Like, feed it to me. And then that bit where I thought of you, where she's like, spits to the side. I can do this all day. I'm like, "Oh, Matt's gonna love that." And like, yep. that's. And then she's like, "Well, she's dead." Yeah, and she's dead like straight away. And, and like I said, I th- I think I think that Sam Raimi knows how. <sighs> the multiverse has potential but no no real consequences and i i really enjoyed watching all of those characters die basically i <laughs> i enjoyed i enjoyed it on two levels one there's no one better at this stuff at putting together interesting weird deaths i think that captain carter being sliced in half was like the least interesting and it was the most fun i love that she just sliced John Krasinski up. I, mm-hmm. I actually really, it's one of the, I, and 
I like that they got Patrick Stewart to be Professor X, and I like that he nearly Why? had some consequence to the plot, nearly, and then died immediately. <laughs> Just, um, yeah. And I think, I th- to me, I, uh, so there's, I love watching them die. I love that Raimi <laughs> seems to know that there's no consequences, but there's a part of me that was also like every fanboy. And to be fair in my screening, which was almost full when Krasinski showed up and when Patrick Stewart showed up, there was cheers already. And, and when they died, I was cackling. Like I was laughing and enjoying the moment. (laughs) And you could tell that I was kind of the only one. And I was, and I was, and I was cackling because I could tell that there's a million fanboys, mostly fanboys, who were like, yeah, oh, what? <laughs> you know, like, basically them just... saying that, like, we think your idea is great. Oh, no, we don't. We're just going to shred him. You know, we're going to just kill him. <laughs> it's great. But it's just so point. It was just so pointless. Xavier was utterly, like, pointless. We get introduced to this group that even strangers never heard of, the Illumina. Illumina what? Or whatever he said. Illumina what? In his accent. Yeah. And like, oh, they're an important multi like versatile team of oh look, it's her and it's him and it's that dude just as Mr. Well, Fantastic. And then it was completely meaningless, the whole thing. Interestingly, I didn't actually maybe I missed it, but I didn't get the impression that this Illuminati was like a multiversal team. I thought they were just like the leaders of that particular universe. Um, but it doesn't uh, doesn't doesn't really make a maybe. difference because they're all dead now, and we'll makes never see no that difference. universe again. It makes this no difference. This is the team that beat Thanos. Like we've seen Thanos in action, we've seen what they had to go through to beat Thanos, and there's a, a flashback to them standing around Thanos, like, and he's got like a sword in him, and they use some magic, some kind of magic spell book. So, and they are like these awesome heroes, and they die in the most stupid, like, meaningless ways after doing absolutely yeah. nothing but be a plot point for and social media. I, I, I 100% think that that is... I, I just... Maybe it's not, but I, I in my head, that is Sam Raimi being like, oh, I have to use these people? Okay. Yeah, but he didn't <laughs> write this. He, he It was in the script, right? He didn't write it, did he? He does... No, it was this, written by Michael, Michael Waldron, I think, wrote it. Um, oh, he did. You're out the Loki guy. Yeah. And uh, I mean, yeah, I think I think and maybe maybe Waldron feels the same way. In my head, it's the filmmakers going, "Oh, this is what you want. I'm going to give you exactly what you want." And <laughs> nice. it made and it, you're right; it was pointless. But I also I also enjoyed those moments. But I think for reasons that most people will not share. Right, right. <laughs> it was a sadistic reason. Um. So the uh, we can talk. I just want to mention that the fight we were talking about is when uh, Stephen Strange uh, is fighting uh, another Luke, another other more, Stephen more, Strange. Right, that's right, right. And they fight with they pull musical notation off music sheets and fight and defend with bars of music, and it's all like visually represented as the music fighting as... each other, and the music plays the music in the notation plays during the fight. That was incredible. Yeah. That was absolutely amazing. Legitimately incredible. And uh, yeah, one of the best things that's happened. And uh, the fusion, again, like I said before, the fusion of R- Raimi knowing how to work a camera, work effects, work fight choreography, and work in music, and also working with Danny Elfman, who he always works with. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a perfect fight scene. Even yeah. for something that is 
you could definitely argue is a big CGI mess. It's a perfect CGI mess. I think it's a really yeah, it's a it's a great example of when to use CG in a certain kind of way because usually it's this blanket bomb of like effects and particles and blah blah, blah like wonders red magic everywhere and bullshit like that. But this was like this really precise thing that you can see what it is mm-hmm. uh, and it has a very like uh, a very precise use. It's just so good. And, and it, I, it's I, also it's also the only big CGI scene where the blacks are actually black and so the color actually does pop. Yeah. It was because they're in a they're in a you know a dark ruined section or version of the the Sanctum Centaurum and it's it's a mm-hmm. dark place and so the colors actually do pop and it's not yeah. the gray sludge that it so often is. I mean, so. it was gray later, but another part I loved was when uh, Stephen Strange at one point has to, through magic rubbish, has to inhibit a dead version of himself in another uh, universe in order to do something. And because he oh, does yeah. that, he he breaks the seal and some the evil spirits come out and they're the fantastic like army of darkness like spirits, which he then learns to control and they become like his cloak. And at yeah. one point he stands there and they form this like clock around him and it is perfectly framed. It's like Raimi going, this is, this is a perfect frame. And yeah. it it's brilliant. It is yeah. so good. There's another great part of that where they're, they attack alternate universe, Christine. And there's a moment where it's, you're from the demon's point of view. So it's like the camera's like zooming in on her face. Uh, as as the demons like biting at her oh it's perfect i i really love his filmmaking style and i really love that he seems to understand how comic books feel in a way that a lot of other filmmakers Mm -hmm. don't so many filmmakers shoot for this like grounded realistic feel and he shoots for this it's not it's not like uh how am i going to say this he knows how to blend the ridiculous in a way that Mm -hmm. works Mm-hmm. And he seems yeah, to know that, that it's not, and it, and it seems to be that he knows that the, uh, it needs to be hyper real, not real. You yeah, know? yeah. And, and I, and I just love him for it. Yeah, yeah, no, so. you're, you're, we talked about that a little bit last week, didn't we, um, <laughs> off air, about finding yeah. that, that, how Raimi finds the humor and ridiculousness in horror without it making it stupid. And I think it's such a fine line. Yeah. Um, without making it a pastiche or trying to be funny with it, uh, but still finding the humor in it, he's so, or, so good at that. Or legitimately trying to be funny and not and having it not ruin the tone or ruin yeah. the horrific parts of it. He's so yeah. good at that. Yeah. So if only well, he, if only he'd been given free free a reign for the rest of this movie, because the parts where that are pure Raimi are an absolute joy. The rest is just. The, just so bland, so bland and boring, and it, it's very disappointing for me to say. And that honestly, about a movie. even the stuff like when Scarlet Witch attacks Kamartage, which is a big CGI battle, and there's there's one really great moment in that whole battle where she, I think I don't know if you would agree, but she's being held off by this huge shield, so she mm-hmm. starts like probing the minds of the wizard, and yeah, she like comes out from behind. In, it's clearly in this guy's mind, but she comes out from behind him and whispers in his ear, and that moment is fantastic. Mm-hmm. But the rest is a, CG, a gray CGI sledge fest. Yeah. It's yeah, uh, yeah. and very standard Marvel, and and I like Marvel movies. Don't get me wrong, 
but like I am, I'm getting, I'm getting a little, I'm craving originality yeah. in a way that I don't think has really been satisfied no. in a long time. This this film has done nothing to to ease that kind of feeling I have as well. Whereas Moon Knight really did. I I actually didn't watch our preview copies of Moon Knight because I I just didn't feel like watching any more Marvel stuff. And Moon Knight I feel has completely reinvigorated my interest in that side. And then watching this last night for me was just like this is exactly what I'm don't want to watch anymore i will watch it again like i said the the raimi bits are classic raimi and so are fantastic but there's so much of this film that's a waste of time really yeah anyway well we gotta anyway. wrap it up I, I, we are yeah. out of time but uh thank you again so much for listening check the show notes for all the links you're looking for we love each and every one of you we do and we'll be back next week with something else thanks guys bye okay, we love you bye